This is the final part in our series, The Dearest Place on Earth. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to be looking together at verses 1 through 9. I've called this message Divine Perspective and the Dearest Place on Earth. Divine Perspective and the dearest place on earth. Now, as with whenever time, wherever I have the privilege to speak, which is regularly, I don't have any original thoughts. I wish I did. I wish I was smart enough to have original thoughts. I'm not smart enough to have original thoughts. I once thought I had an original thought, and then I woke up. It was a dream. I don't have original thoughts. Everything I say, I'm ultimately standing on somebody else's shoulders. And when it comes to understanding divine perspective, and no one's taught me more about that than the founder of our movement, C.J. Mahaney. He's influenced my life over the last 20 years. When it comes to this topic, and so so much of what I'm going to be talking about today, I have learnt from him. But I'm aware in turn he has learnt that from the Apostle Paul. We owe to Scripture, as Calvin tells us, the same reverence that we owe to God. And so as we attend to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, would we, would we revere it? This is God's word. This is what he says. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and to our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how can we thank you enough for your word, for its clarity, for its necessity, for its sufficiency? Lord, it really does have hands, it has feet, it has a mouth, it speaks to us and pursues us and comes after us. Lord, would we hear then your voice today, Lord, as we close the chapter on the Dearest Place on Earth series. Oh Lord, would you instill in our hearts a divine perspective for your local church. Open our eyes, Lord. Amen. You know, the church, as biblically defined, really is the dearest place on earth, isn't it? For together when we gather, we're a temple where two or more are gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ. He dwells with them. In the Old Testament, just one guy, the great high priest, would get to go into the Holy of Holies one day a year. 
And yet now, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can boldly approach him each and every day of our lives. And yet in grace, when we gather together, where two or more are gathered together, unique things happen. God dwells in a unique and perceptible way. Like we just experienced this morning. Together we're a temple. Together we're also a family. Brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And when we dwell then in unity together, it's a beautiful thing before the Lord. And he does great things in us. Together we're a body. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We have a mission to go and proclaim Christ. A mission that we're all called to play our part in for his glory. And together we're his bride, which he personally, Jesus Christ, laid his life down for. John Stott talks about that reality this way. He says, what stands out in Paul's development of this theme of the bride is the sacrificial steadfastness of the heavenly bridegroom's covenant love for her. He chose her from eternity past. He set his affections upon her. And then buying her back from sin, he gently sanctifies and cleanses her, preparing her for himself. His love for his bride is not flighty. It's not given to whim. For it is zealous and it is unchanging. Isn't that beautiful? That's the way the Lord thinks about the dearest place on earth. That's the way he thinks about his local church. He thinks about it as a bride. A bride who he loves with a love that is not flighty or given to whim. But is zealous and unchanging. And all this, when you put it together, it is that that makes the church the dearest place on earth, as Mr. Spurgeon calls it. And yet in all sobering reality... The dearest place on earth, the bride of Christ, is sadly so often in rags and tatters here in this world, isn't she? Given the nature of indwelling sin in our hearts, when the church comes together, it really is when sinners say, I do, on on much bigger form. Given the nature of indwelling sin in all our hearts, which we all bring when we come into membership in a local church. Given the nature of worldliness and how that seeks to pull us in and influence our hearts. Given the nature of the evil one who wants to do all he can to ensure that this church doesn't stand together in unity. Given all those realities, the bride of Christ is sadly so often in rags and tatters here in this world. And maybe none more so than this church that we have before us here in the book of Corinth. Because this is written to a church in Corinth and they are in rags and tatters. See, for this local church in Corinth, rather than sharing their possessions with one another, they're suing one another. They're taking one another to court. They're trying to see each other crippled in terms of their finances, particularly the poor. Rather than offering hospitality to one another, they're gorging themselves on the bread and getting drunk on the wine. The Lord's Supper will be done around meals in this this, uh, era of time. And so the way they're doing it is the rich people get served first, they're eating all the bread, they're drinking the wine, they're getting drunk, they're greedy on the wine and the bread, and there's people in the church that are poorer that haven't got to have any at all. Rather than prizing Christ and doing all they can to point to Christ and Him crucified, they're prizing themselves 
They're drawing attention to themselves through their use of spiritual gifts and human wisdom. They're using their gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy, tongues, healing, all those incredible gifts. They're using them not to point to Christ, but to point to themselves. They're wearing them like badges. Hey, check me out. Gift of tongues. (laughs) What gift do you have? Oh, healing? Oh, never mind. He obviously doesn't love you quite as much. What do you have? Prophecy. Oh, oh, very good. Well, I have prophecy and tongues. That's what they're like. And when they spend time together, they want to pontificate. They want to show each other how clever they are. How clever are you? You're not very clever at all. Oh, where did you go to school? Oh, you didn't. Mm -hmm. That's what they're like. And rather than enjoying communal singing together, they are participating in communal sex. They have decided, and their understanding is that the body won't carry on to heaven anyway, it's just the soul, so we can do what we like with our bodies, it doesn't really matter. And added all into this, rather than humbly and willingly following Paul, they're growingly standing in opposition to Paul and his leadership. They're suspect of him, they're cynical to him, there's accusations going around the church about him, and they've decided they barely want to follow him. That is the church that you have before us here in 1 Corinthians. And that is the backdrop to this verse, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. (laughs) Is that not incredible when you realize the background? That is astounding. Given all that this church is, given all the deficiencies that are blindingly obvious about them, Paul begins his letter by letting them know, when I think about you, I always give God thanks for you. I mean, that is profound, because I am also a pastor like Paul, and I can assure you, if I was to move on from Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney, and you were doing all the things that they were doing, my letter would not begin... I always thank God for you. My letter would begin, What are you thinking? That's what my letter would begin with. What are you doing? What's going on? Not so, Paul. I always thank God for you. You know, he clearly saw something and understood something that I think we can find hard to see and understand if we're honest, can't we? And that then is the question that I want us to tackle and answer today. The question I want us to tackle and answer is, what is it that Paul saw and understood about the Corinthian church that caused him to always give thanks to God for them? What was it that the Apostle Paul saw and understood about this local church that caused him to be able to write to them, even with their clear deficiencies, and begin by letting them know, I I always thank God for you. This is how I think about you. With affection and adoration and joy in you. You know, Paul's example is compelling, isn't it? He clearly has a divine perspective for this local church, and it's compelling to us. And accordingly then, if we pay attention, I think it is here for our emulation. That's why God breathed this here. So he can say, okay, Sovereign Grace Church, 2,000 years on. This is what Paul did. I want you to imitate him. 
See, Paul says that numerous times in his letters. He calls about imitating me, imitate me, imitate me. And this is like one of those moments where God is saying, yeah, I'm going to breathe this out into Scripture. Imitate him. What is it that he saw and understood about the church that enabled him, even despite seeing the deficiencies, to be able to clearly thank God for them? Well, three things that I think he saw. And here's the first. Number one, he saw and understood who they really were before the Lord. He saw with his eyes and understood in his heart who they really were before the Lord. This is so important. C.J. Mahaney says it this way. He says, Paul's extraordinary attitude towards the Corinthians and his extraordinary affection for the Corinthians was created by his divine perspective of the Corinthians. I can't say it better than that. Paul's extraordinary attitude towards the Corinthians and his extraordinary affection for the Corinthians was created by his divine perspective of the Corinthians. That's exactly what was going on. He saw them how God saw them. And so as he sees them and understands them, his divine perspective begins with seeing and understanding who they really are before the Lord. And in particular then, seeing and understanding the call of God on their lives. See, pay attention to what you hear. In nine verses, three times, Paul mentions to them the call of God on their lives. That's important. Because in doing that, Paul is reminding them, and indeed himself, of the prior work of God on their lives prior to this moment. That their very salvations were God's initiative. That this is all the Lord's doing. That he started the story in their lives. That they're only there because of the divine summons on them by God himself. That's critical to understand. See, as Paul sits across the table from the Corinthians, even despite their obvious deficiencies, he's able to say to them, listen, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because as he sits opposite them at the table, he's aware, before there is even time, God chose you. Before the world even ever existed, before he even breathed out the stars, he chose you by name. And at the right time, then, he forgave you. He removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. And he didn't then just leave you out there, just forgiven, doing a free-range thing for Jesus. No, he... He justified you. He clothed you in the righteousness of the Lamb of God. He clothed you in the righteousness of His Son Himself. And then He reconciled you into a relationship with God Himself. Not just to sit at the back. No, He he adopted you as a child of God. And so because of Him, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And to make this possible, God Himself sent His Son to die for you. And at the right time, Jesus came and bled and let his life down personally for you. And so as the Apostle Paul sits across the table from these Corinthians, even despite obvious deficiencies, he's able to say, I always thank God for you because he's aware of who they really are. Namely, these are people that Christ himself died for and called by name and now delights in and one day they will be in heaven with him for all eternity. 
Do you see how that changed his perspective of them? It wasn't primarily for seeing deficiencies. He's just aware you have been chosen in Christ. And so for Paul, he was always instructed and informed by his perspective of them as called. He understood who they were before the Lord. And my friends, if we're always going to give thanks for Sovereign Grace Church, then we need to see that as well, don't we? Because sometimes, let's be honest, when we're sitting across the table from people in our life group, or people we're serving with, or people that we're getting to know, we can clearly see deficiencies. But we have to remind ourselves that through those deficiencies, you know who they are? They're a child of God himself. Somebody who was called before the foundation of the earth. Somebody who's been forgiven and redeemed and justified. Heaven is their home. And who ultimately, in the heavenly realms, we will be closer with, because of the lack of sin, than anybody that we are in communion with here in this world. Isn't that incredible? That's how Paul was informed by them. That's why he was able to say, I always thank God for them. His divine perspective began by understanding and seeing who they really were before the Lord. But that's not all. Number two, his divine perspective was also informed this way. He was more aware of evidences of grace in their lives than areas in need of change. He was more aware of where God is at work in each other's lives than he was areas in which that given individual needed to change. I mean, please don't misunderstand. Paul is going to go on throughout the book of Corinthians and adjust their attitudes. He's going to adjust their attitude and their behavior and he's going to be clear with them. Right here, he just wants to let them know, this is how I feel about you. I always thank God for you and this is what I see in you. More aware of evidence is grace than I am areas in need of change. Look with me at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, to be around Paul was to be around a man who was truly thankful and grateful consistently. I don't know what you think it would be like to be around this hero in the faith or whether you'd be like, oh, I don't know whether I want to meet him or not. If you met him, here's what he'd be doing. He'd be truly grateful and thankful and you'd find that you'd be on the end of serious encouragement. Because we see that model throughout Paul's life all the time. Whoever he's talking to by letter, he wants to let him know, I give thanks to God for you. I thank God for you. To be around Paul was to be on the receiving end of thankfulness and gratitude and encouragement. Because to be around Paul was to be a recipient of his gratitude to God for the evidences of grace that he observes in your life. And so he wanted to let you know. He'd want to inform you within not long meeting you, you know what? This is where I see God at work in your life and I'm so grateful to God that he's at work in your life in this way. That's what it was to be like to be around Paul. That's what you see in these opening verses of the chapter. He's specific and detailed. I thank God about this about you, about this about you, about this about you. He's clearly articulate and I see God at work in your life and I want to let you know that I'm thanking God for that specifically. 
In the dictionary of Paul in his letters, the following is written as the first statement under the title Thanksgiving. It's what it says. Paul mentions the subject of thanksgiving more often, line by line, than any other author, pagan or Christian. Isn't that incredible? The Apostle Paul mentions thanksgiving, either displaying it or talking about it, more line by line than any other author on the planet, pagan or Christian. That's what it was like to be around Paul to be a recipient of his gratitude to God for the evidences of grace that he observes in your life. And if we're honest, here's what happened to me as I considered this and studied this this week. If I'm honest, I found his example compelling. I wanted to be like him. And then at the very same time, instantaneously, I found his example somewhat confronting. (laughs) Compelled by it, confronted by it. Compelled by it because I want to be like that. Confronted by it as I realize I'm not. That it could be a challenge to see evidence of Christ. But it could be easy to see deficiencies and areas in need of change. In C.J. Mahaney's book, Humility, he talks about a peanut comic strip about Lucy and Linus. It's this comic strip that's in the paper that he came across, I believe it's in the Washington Post. It opens up with Lucy and Linus in their living room and Linus is curled up in a chair. He's quietly reading a book and Lucy is standing behind him and with a funny look on her face. And then she turns to Linus and says the following. It's very strange. It happens just by looking at you. (laughs) Well, the next box then says... Linus, Linus asks, what happens just by looking at me? And the next frame, Lucy simply says calmly, just by looking at you, I can feel a criticism coming on. (laughs) Oh, she must have been British. You know, she must have been. Just by looking at you, I can see a criticism coming on. My friends... Outside a divine perspective, is that not the way we think? Just by looking at you. Sometimes, not even just by looking at you, sometimes just by hearing your name, I can feel a criticism coming on. Outside a divine perspective, I think that's the way we think. That's the way we can operate all too quickly. Not all the time and consistently, but, but regularly. Just by looking at you, I can see a deficiency. I can feel a criticism coming on. In the book Pride and Prejudice, there's at one point when Elizabeth's father has discovered in a letter that's been written by his friend Mr. Collins that the arrogant and self-righteous Mr. Darcy is interested in his daughter Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's father is profoundly shocked by what she is discovering that Mr. Darcy likes his daughter, but he assumes that his daughter will have no interest in Mr. Darcy at all. So he was shocked to discover that his daughter loves Mr. Darcy and wants to be with Mr. Darcy. And so this is then what the father says to Elizabeth to warn her away. He says, Dear, Mr. Darcy never looks upon a woman except to see 
a blemish. Well, my friends, I don't think that's just Mr. Darcy. I think in different ways, with different people and at different times, I think we can all be like Mr. Darcy. We can all tend to look at people and feel a criticism coming on. We can all see areas that need to change. Listen, you can teach a monkey to find deficiencies in people's lives. You can. That's not impressive. You're not called to pastor or ministry if you see deficiencies in people's lives, okay? Everybody does that. But it takes skill to see evidences of grace. It takes effort. It takes divinely motivated effort. But outside of divine perspective, we can all just see issues and problems. Well, my friends, if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, if we're going to be imitators of Paul in this regard, then listen, three things. Just like Paul, we're going to need to be, de- to be a dependent people. If we are seriously going to be grace finders in people, and more aware of evidences of grace than we are areas in need of change, then just like Paul, we're going to have to be totally dependent upon the Lord. Totally dependent upon his grace, because this is not our natural view of things. Paul was completely aware all the time of how weak he was. He was completely aware, listen, I keep doing the things I don't want to do, I, I don't do the things I do want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. At the end of 2 Corinthians, he's asking, Lord, please take away this thorn in the flesh from me. And yet God keeps telling him, no, my grace will be sufficient for you in your weakness. And so Paul spends his entire life either preaching the gospel to people, doing life with people in the context of the local church, or on his knees praying to God, Lord, help me, help me, aid me. My friends, if we're going to go beyond seeing deficiencies in people to evidences of grace in people, then we must begin by being a people on our knees, crying out to God for those around us, Lord, help me see what you see. Lord, help me with a divine perspective. Help me see what Paul would see in them. Help me see what you see in them. Without that prayer, we will never do it. Honestly, we could just pause the message there and say amen and be done. If we're not willing to cry out to God, we're done. We will never see beyond the deficiencies. But if we're on our knees and crying out to God, Lord, help me see, we'll start to see. Just like Paul, then, we need to be a dependent people. And number two, just like Paul, we're going to need to be an observant people. We need to be grace finders in people's lives. It's not as hard as you think. Just think in two different categories. Fruits of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit, evidence of the Spirit's work in people's lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Remember learning them in Sunday school? The fruits of the Spirit. They are evidence of God's work in people's lives. So we, we need to have that category when we're talking to somebody. Where do I see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives? And then where do I see the gifts of the Spirit operating in their lives? If they are serving in any way, if they are encouraging or praying or caring for people, that's all evidence of God's work in their lives. When we go into conversations or life group with those categories in mind, oh my, it will change our experience. Because we'll start to see God everywhere. He's everywhere. David Powlison at one point just talks about, he's a counsellor, and he just talks about celebrate the lean. (laughs) So when somebody just leans towards God, celebrate it, because that's him at work. 
Do you see the way you've grown? You're leaning towards the Lord. Praise God. Let's celebrate. Oh my, it changes our conversations. And it changes what we see. If you're a parent, guard the way you parent in this regard. What are your kids more aware of from you? Are they more aware of evidences of grace in their lives or areas in, the, in, the, in need of change? What are they more aware of? What is your spouse more aware of? Areas that they need to change because they've got issues? Or areas where you see God at work in their lives? And what about your life group? What are they more aware of? Areas where you're not too happy with them? Areas where you see God at work in each and every individual in the room. If we're going to be like Paul, then we're going to need to be a dependent people. We're going to need to be an observant people. And we're going to need to, thirdly, we're going to need to be an articulate people. We must open our mouths and communicate to people where we see God at work. We have to do it. Text them. Email them. Call them up. Tell them face to face. Let them know this is specifically where I see God at work in your life. I want to let you know this is where I thank God for you. This is what I see in you. These are all evidences of his grace in your life. Listen, just like that, just like Paul, when we do that, we will bring grace to the hearer. You know, my experience, the last person to know that God is at work in their lives is the individual you're talking to. They're nearly always the last person to know. So you can clearly see God at work in their lives. And when you articulate it, they, they are surprised because they're unaware of it. What a joy then that we get to articulate to them, this is where God's at work in your life. Do you see the effect you're having in your life? Do you see where God's at work? I, I thank God for what I see in your life. They're usually the last person to know, but just like Paul, when we observe and articulate that, we will bring grace to the hearer. We will also build up the body of Christ. It will cultivate unity and a platform of encouragement among our local church. But even more than that, when we observe and articulate evidences of grace in people's lives, we will not only be emulating Paul, we will be imitating God himself. Do you realize that? So just look over the page in 1 Corinthians. Turn over the page to chapter 4. Is what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5a. Paul says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light all things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. I mean, that is a profound statement. Paul is drawing our attention to that day. That day when we stand before the Lord a given account of our lives. And to consider that day can be a fearful thing, isn't it? When we genuinely and honestly pause and consider, what is that going to be like? To stand before God in his majesty and holiness. That could be a fearful thing to our hearts, isn't it? And my friends, if we're here today and we're not a Christian, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have much to fear about that day. Because the Bible is clear, if we're found in our sin, 
then we have stumbled over the cross of Jesus Christ. We've rejected him. And then on that day then when we stand before him face to face, he will reject us. We'll be removed from him for all eternity into the context of hell. A place that will be completely devoid of any blessing of the Lord. So everything we enjoy in this life, friendship, sight, enjoyment, food, drink, it will be devoid of all those things. It will be utter darkness and aloneness. And yet that's why Jesus came. He came to give you life out of that. He came making it clear that the only way back to God, the only way to be forgiven of your sin and be justified of your sin is through my substitutionary death on the cross in your place. And so he encourages us all the way through Scripture. Put your faith in me. Put your faith in me. Believe in me and you will have life. And when we do that, well, we don't need to be fearful then about that last day. We can look forward to that last day. Because he won't say Away from me. Do you know what he's going to say? Here's what he's going to say. 1 Corinthians 4. Let's read it again. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light all things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. He will literally reveal all things that were done in secret by us. Listen. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. (laughs) Is that not incredible to you? And that last day when all those secret things come out, a day that surely in our natural nature we'd think, oh no, don't show them that, don't tell them that. The Lord is going to be bringing those secret things out. Why? commend you. He's going to sift through all the meat and the bones and he's going to find meat in your life and he's going to go, well done. He's going to commend you and praise you. How awkward is that going to be? To stand before the Lord realizing, Lord, I've got nothing. And him go, oh yeah. Yeah, you have. Well done for that. And well done for that. And when you said that, well done, son. My friends, the privilege we have ahead of that day, the privilege and opportunity we have in the here and now, is the privilege to not only emulate Paul in this way as he lets people know this is where God is at work in your life. In doing that, we also have the privilege and opportunity of imitating God himself, of identifying to people that is a well-done moment. God is at work there. It is a shadow precursor of the day to come. And Paul operates it in it incredibly, doesn't he? He models it better than anybody I know. He's so passionate about the Lord. He's so committed to the Lord. He sees in them, even though the deficiencies are there, he sees in them specific things he wants to let them know. I thank God about you in this. He has a divine perspective. And then number three. The third thing that informs his divine perspective that enables him to give thanks to God for them. Number three, he had a wonderful confidence in the faithfulness of God towards them. A wonderful confidence. 
and the faithfulness of God towards them. Look with verse 7b again. It says, As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Herein then is the secret to Paul's confidence for this local church. Here is in the secret for Paul's confidence for any change that will take place with or without him. His confidence that informs his attitude as he looks at them and sees them. His confidence is informed by one thing, the faithfulness of God towards them. The reality that he who began a good work in them will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. The reality of Matthew 16, the one who says, I will build my church, hasn't changed. He's still building the church in Corinth. All with their difficulties and worldliness and sinful tendencies, the Lord is still building that church. The gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against that local church because the Lord is building it. He who began a good work in them, who called them before there was even time, and who there is evidence of grace all throughout their ministries, future grace will sustain them. Because even if they stand opposed to Paul, uninterested in Paul, Paul isn't the one building the church. God is. So that informs everything that he sees. I give thanks to God always for you. Because before there was even time, God called you. And I see evidences of grace all over your lives. And even if you reject me, I wasn't really building the church anyway. God is. And so it tempers everything he says. He's not anxious, he's not under pressure, he's not annoyed. He's just trying to serve them. Because he's pastoring ultimately for the audience of one. And it's the audience of one who captures his gaze in terms of confidence for this local church. Paul knew who was building the church. He knew who was building his life group. He knew who was building his family. And so he always gave thanks to God for them. And my friends, so then can we. If the Apostle Paul can have so much confidence and grace finding for the Corinthian church, given all their deficiencies, for us in Sovereign Grace Church, we have no excuse. We have no excuse to be able to see evidences of grace and to be able to point them out day after day after day. My friends, the church is biblically defined really is the dearest place on earth. Together we're a temple, we're a family, we're a body, and we're a bride. And yet in sobering reality, the dearest place on earth, this glorious bride of Christ, is, is often in rags and tatters here on this earth. Given the nature of indwelling sin, given the constant pressure of worldliness, given the reality of an evil one who is desperate and eager to divide us in any way he can, Church is so often in rags and tatters. But sovereign Grace, I want to encourage you. Whatever befalls us in our future, whatever occurs to us in our future, would we always and consistently have a divine perspective of our local church? 
Would we see and understand who those around us really are before the Lord? Would we recognize those people sitting next to us? And not just anybody, but they're people that Christ died for personally, that he called and then forgave and redeemed and is now adopted and cares for them with 24-7 care because he loves them so much. Would we be more aware of evidences of grace in each other's lives than we are deficiencies and areas in need of change? Because there are evidences of grace if we open our eyes everywhere amongst us. And so do we see them and articulate them? And would we have a wonderful confidence in the faithfulness of God towards us? One of the greatest privileges of my life was ordaining Brendan just a few weeks ago. Probably one of my highlights, without a doubt, of being in Australia. My confidence for our future does not lie in his or anybody else's pastoral ministry. My confidence in our future doesn't lie in our strategy of how we build life groups and what we do. I love you guys, but my confidence doesn't lie in you either. My confidence, and I trust all of our confidence, needs to be in the one who laid his life down for us. He's building this local church. And so by God's grace then, imperfect though it is, with thanksgiving, may this always be the dearest place on earth to us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather before you in prayer, Lord, would we be overwhelmingly aware in this moment that we are your bride. That as you look on at us in this moment, you don't look on at us full of deficiencies. You look on at us clothed in the righteousness of your Son. And you look on at us just like a groom does with his bride walking down the aisle towards them. Lord, that is scandalous grace because we don't deserve your love and affection. We rejected you. And yet you pursued us by name. Lord, would we be aware then of your unfailing and never-changing love towards us as individuals? But more even than that, would we be aware of your unfailing and unchanging love towards us as your bride? Because this church is yours. You started it. And you are sustaining it. And you will carry us to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. So Lord, would our confidence and our gaze always go to you. Always to you. Because you're worthy of it all. Amen.